Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life's defining moments don't always feel that great when they are happening. In the moment, they can feel challenging, uncomfortable, difficult, impossible even. But with hindsight, they can take on a different shape. Each week, I ask my guests to share their biggest life learnings to date as we explore those difficult, swampy, infuriating times and how they shaped them, all from a comfortable distance that's afforded them the time to take the positive out of what might have seemed nothing but negative at the time. Because whether it's risks, excuses, obstacles, opportunities, both missed and taken, successes, regrets, curveballs, weaknesses, strengths, and perhaps the hardest lesson of all, being wrong, they are the reason they are the person they are today, the person sitting in front of me on this episode of The Emma Gunn Show. My guest today is Poppy Delbridge, a transformational mind coach, speaker and author whose rapid tapping technique has been featured in major publications including the Daily Mail, Grazia and the Evening Standard, primetime TV show This Morning and Fern Cotton's Happy Place Festival and podcast. Poppy was born in Plymouth and studied American studies at Keele University before her career began in television as a producer at Talkback Thames and then as head of entertainment development at Warner Brothers before becoming a coach and founding the House of Possibility and then Rapid Tapping in 2020. It was a big career pivot for a single mum, quitting a six-figure salary job in the media to start coaching women knowing full well she only had three months to make it work. But make it work she did. Her coaching has grown into workshops, private one-to-ones, and the Pivot into Power System, a unique seven-stage blueprint to structure dreams and fast-track results into reality. And if you think it's fluffy, think again. The Pivot into Power System is used by Fortune 100's big media and UN leaders. It's a refreshing shift from the guff about manifesting out there that winds me up, says Delbridge, that has flooded social media in the last few years, which has given false impression of what it really takes to affect change. But that that's why Poppy is here today, and of course, to share her life lessons. Poppy Delbridge, it is a pleasure to welcome you onto the Emma Gunn Show. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> so let's address the guff. Let's talk about that because I think you're absolutely right. And longtime listeners of the podcast will know that I have talked about manifesting and have talked about the ways in which it can be disempowering because of how it is served up to us. How is what you do different? Mm. Well, I think a lot of manifesting now, because it's very trendy, Mm. is only as good as your belief system allows you to be. So if you have a belief system that's really attuned Mm. to the result you want, the reality you want, 
what your goal is, then manifesting will absolutely work for you. Mm -hmm. If you don't, which is most of us, then you need to go to the core of why that's not your belief and work around your psyche, take action and really consider your behaviors and all of the things that you've experienced in life that might be giving you a skewed perception on what you can and can't achieve. So it really goes a lot deeper. Mm. And I'm really obsessed with people understanding what they believe. Can you change some of those thought processes and feelings? And then if you can, then yes, manifestation is possible. But I tend to use the word create Mm. more than manifest because it gives you the power back in what that is. And it doesn't uh, really then mean that you're thinking you're not good enough as a manifester Mm. to get the things that you want, right? Because we have to own our own power. So pivot into power is about that. Mm. So it's, it's a process that's a lot more about your psychology and you know what you've experienced in life and then how you adapt and and manifest in that way okay so that's really interesting because actually there is no creation no manifesting no really moving forward with this until the belief system until fundamentally I guess you connect with who you are what you believe in and what you stand for which I think anyone listening to this can probably agree like the fundamental pillars of self-esteem I yeah. said that like a question, but I don't mean it as a question. Like it, th- those, And the reason why I point that out is because I think I definitely went through life for many, many years worrying about what other people thought about things mm. rather than ever asking myself what I thought. And I was only able to make a lot of the progress I've made and feel uh, not racked by negative thoughts, depression, anxiety, and all these things by having done that work. Yes, yes. And that's the basis for where you start, which is why it's... Not fluffy. (laughs) Not fluffy. Yeah, because we're based on evidence accrued Mm. thus far, all of us. And you have to question if that evidence is ultimately true or not. And when you do, you can kind of go from somewhere and go, oh, okay. Mm. Um, So that's the fun bit. That's the fun bit. Yeah. Okay, so in order to move any further into this, I really want to find out how you became the tapping woman, how you became the pioneer of rapid tapping. And I ask all of my guests, what's your relationship like with risk? Yes, risk. I love risk. (laughs) (laughs) I'm risky. (laughs) I am definitely bold. I was brought up in the midst of risk in quite a deep way, both good and bad. Mm -hmm. So I've seen what it can do. And I love risk. I take risks. You know, I definitely am entrepreneurial. And I think if you don't take risks, you don't change your evidence in life, right? So I believe that really risk is, is again, just an experience of life. Mm. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't think that risk can turn out a success or failure. It's simply making a decision based on what you intuitively feel is right for you at any one point in time. But with the risky decisions, there's that jeopardy. There's that sense of this could go wrong. Mm. And that's what makes some people risk averse, me included. Mm. Or I have a gradient of like what I will take a risk on and what I won't take a risk on. Yeah. Um, Where do you sit on that? Are you just like, if it feels complicated, then I'm going to run at it as hard as I can? No, 
not quite. No, I am quite considered mm-hmm. with risk. And I do look at all eventualities. I am a st- strategist, I suppose, in many ways, mm. working with people's lives, but also in my previous job. And so I do think carefully about what the outcome could be. But I'm very, very focused on what the end result is of any thing that I do. Mm. Uh, because then you can always go for that. So I, I try to make sure that everything I do, I know all the eventualities. And then I'm kind of like, am I okay with that? Yes, because the, the best eventuality is possible. Therefore, I'm okay with it. Mm. I like that. Um, I asked you what your biggest risk is that you've ever taken and I mentioned it in the introduction you had this incredible job in media a really well-paying high-profile influential important job and something made you take the leap Mm -hmm. so tell me about that yeah so I did have this wonderful job and I did love my job And I was lucky enough to get that job from a creativity competition straight out of uni with The Guardian. And so I went through these rigorous things and then I landed this job in television development, which then was for a very big company, Endemol Shine. And I worked my way up there and I absolutely loved it. I worked hard. And it got to the point where I had had so much fantastic experience working to help all these incredible people get on to broadcasting. And that was the biggest joy. Lots of comedians and creating really wonderful formats, like lots of panel shows and being involved in those teams. Still running like Would I Lie To You, 8 Out of 10 Cats. Those were the glory days Mm. and I feel so grateful that I was a part of all those things and then um, I had moved up through the ranks and I got headhunted for quite a big job Um, I was quite young then I think I was about 28 I looked very miniature (laughs) and I was like hey (laughs) here I am and then I just loved it and I got to travel the world and do all this stuff and then it got to a point where my son, because I have my son, was a teenager, just. And we were moving and it got to the point where I thought, okay, now you're being almost like primed for the next role, which was more kind of CEO, mm. you know. And I thought to myself, well, the dream that I have inside me is to work with people to help them to create success and joy like mm. in the way that they want. And that, in the end, was just too much of a big pull for me. I'd go home and I'd be spending all my time, and I did this for years, geeking out on, you know, books, and neuroscience, um, anything I could get my hands on in this space. And I thought, I'm doing this all the time. Mm. I reckon I could do this as a new career and so I did so I did resign take my terrifying slip of paper (laughs) into my boss shaking and we had a hug and um you know she was a great boss at the time and I just thought I I 
I have to not do this to the next level. Mm. I have to go now. So I did. Did you know what what you were going to do next looked like? You talked earlier about being a strategist. Mm. Had you put together a strategy where you were like, yep, if I do that, I know I know what these first few weeks out of that job will look like or feel like. Or mm. was it a little bit more unknown? Mm. I'm more of a surrendering strategist, right? <laughs> yeah. In that I am very comfortable, I've got to the stage where I'm comfortable with that sort of surrender, not knowing. Mm. And obviously I'm tapping a lot. Um, so my mindset was quite primed to, okay, you don't know exactly how this will pan out, but you've got a very clear vision. And I knew the vision very, very strongly. Mm. Didn't know exactly how at that point it would all pan out. But I do take always the next right step and action for the time. So I'd had a few different um, opportunities. I had a few opportunities from different sort of channels, actually, at the time as well. And I kind of ruled those out. I thought, oh, I'll do a bit more of development, which I loved, creating ideas with some brilliant people. And, um, and then so I was kind of doing two. But my main focus was on, right, you can be a speaker now and you can talk about your own story for a, for a while and you can create the kind of blueprint that I had used over the years to create success in, you know, big parts of my life that I was successful in, so work and mm -hmm. all of that stuff. But yeah, that that was my focus as soon as I left. And I knew I would match my salary I knew I knew I could do it like I knew I could do it because I'm mostly working off sort of inspiration so I was waking up at five learning weird platforms training 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 going to bed at midnight all the while being a mom mm. you know, I didn't have a massive pot of money I knew I had a bit and then I realized I could make it work when I did do my launch day and that was 12 weeks after and I thought okay, this is my target. This is kind of like where I think it could go. And we always have a habit of going to the place where we think it could go, good or bad. Mm -hmm. Expectation is very powerful. And then I tripled my income. Wow. Yeah. And I thought, right, off we go. <laughs> And it didn't just keep going up and up and up, you know, there were lessons to learn. Yeah. Definitely, because it was brand new industry for me, really. But yeah. So at what point in your life did you start tapping? And was that why you were able to, it feels from what you're saying to me, that you know when something's right, you know when something's wrong, because you've done, as we talked about earlier, you've done the work on what you believe in, what you stand for. So every step in a, a direction, you know whether it's getting warmer or cooler. Mm. Would you say that's that's a nice way of putting it, yeah. yeah. Towards your goal. Mm. So when did that come into your life? I've always had a strong sense of that because of my parents. Really owe a lot to my parents and they were just really fantastic humans, really. And um, I learned that you could do a lot with your mind you could do a lot with willpower, but probably not as much as you could with imagination, confidence, self-belief. And so the way that I 
saw that and when I started doing all this work of creating, mm. which really, yeah, manifesting or whatever you want to call it, but it's creating, mm. taking ownership, um, was when my dad was diagnosed with a with a cancer, stage four cancer, adrenal cancer, um, when he was 30, he had a big heart attack. And you know, prior to that, I was a little girl at that point, but prior to that, they'd grown up and had not a lot and been entrepreneurial. So they'd made businesses, you know, this is my mum and dad together. And so it was, I can remember those early years of being like, oh, this is, this is cool. You know, they're doing some stuff together that, and, and it's working. And, and then it all went wrong. And I, and I believe, I say this a little bit in my book, but I believe it was because he was pushing. And um, then it's like, for what purpose is that? To make money? Probably it was. And you know, to make people feel proud of him, his parents. And, you know, that didn't work out well. Uh, he got an adrenal cancer. And so I'm I've always had a very interesting um, response to stress because I've, you know, seen the effects of that in a big way. Mm. And so tapping obviously is known clinically to reduce stress on its basic level. So that was always very interesting to me. Mm. And then... Mindset work, journaling, knowing how you feel, techniques by which you can do that, power up, believe in yourself. That was made manifest to me when I saw my dad live with this cancer with a 10-day prognosis of being alive. So he said, 10 days, see ya. We can't help you anymore. I mean, I don't really remember this. I remember the shock of it. Were you eight at the time? No, I was about four. Oh, wow. Super young. And he had this cancer all through my childhood. And so there was a terror of he's going for tests, what's happened, mm. constant. And actually, in order to deal with that, I did learn these techniques. You know, I was really into it. Mm. And it did work. And it obviously worked for him because he was fit, healthy, ran marathons. He was very kind and he was, you know, just such a great guy. And I thought, wow, you know, I didn't process it at the time. But now I look back, I'm like, yep, that's absolutely where I got it from. And now, because I believed that I could do anything, even though at that point, you know, there was one point when my parents were living off basically nothing because they couldn't run their business. You know, they just couldn't run it. Mm. And then uh, they built it all up again. And and the thing is, it's like, well, mm, I've seen the power in focus and focusing on that focus mm. and what it can do if you do it well and what it can do if you do it badly. So I've, I've always had that in me. To, to, and now I teach that to other people. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Do you think, uh, you talked then about you seeing what stress can do and when you talk about being at those huge media companies, I think, well, there must have been a lot of stress around because the stakes are very high. There's a lot of money. And um, I mean, I say the stakes are high. It's not like working in a hospital. But when you're in those environments, it's like they seem very, very stressful. Were you? Do you think you were able to rise up the ranks because you put yourself slightly at a distance from that stress? And so people would see you as 
perhaps it made you appear more authoritative or as though you were in more control? Mm. Yeah, I, I did know how to handle stress, but there were times when I didn't, mm. like anyone. I remember having a total meltdown once doing a live show. I was about 24 and I was doing like a Channel 4 show. I think my assistant producer was twice my age. And I remember then going, oh my God, this is too stressful. I cannot deal with this and just having a real meltdown. So I'm not, you know, mm. not superwoman or anything. But I think the thing that the thing that made me successful was I believed in myself. It was self-belief. Mm. And I feel very privileged to have had that, even though my childhood was a rock, bit rocky in many ways. I mean, you could look at it and go, what? Mm. Um, I really feel really happy and grateful to have had that experience of going, well, I do believe that I can actually go to London and do this or go, you know, to uni and do well, have mm. a baby, do all the things that people would say, no, you can't do that, possibly can't do that. I was like, yeah, I can. And it didn't come from like, oh, I'll show you. It just came from, no, I really believe I can. Mm. Um, and that is something that you can develop within yourself. That is something that can be developed within anyone. Just where you're saying that, it's making me think about bullying. It's making me think about bullying as a kid. And often, I don't know what bullying's like now. I think it's slightly worse now because of phones and social media. But I distinctly remember as a kid, you say you could do something and some, some the nasty girls being like, you can't do that. And, it's, and I think one can absorb that. And I'm listening to you talk and I'm thinking, I wish I had thought that way because I know that I limited my life based on and I'm sure other people listening to this can relate, which is why I mention it. I'm sure other people can relate to the fact that they have been told they can't or they've absorbed someone else's perception of what they think they can do. And they've mm. lived their life according to that rather than being able to get past that, overpower it and think more like you're talking, yeah. which I think is an incredible, I don't know if it's a skill, it's an incredible characteristic, mm. maybe. Yeah, it's also um, allowing yourself to kind of witness yourself mm. as a human. Mm. And that's quite a, that's how you can learn that characteristic. And that is kind of distancing yourself from who you are in, a, in an interesting way and having compassion for yourself by going, okay, so there's me, there's Poppy, there's that girl. She went through this. She had some things to face and she did that, this and the other. And there is something really empowering in that. And that's a, a word so thrown about. But that is a witnessing yourself as a record of your past is incredibly freeing and empowering. So if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, yeah, I want a piece of that action that Poppy's talking about. and But they have listened and they've thought, oh, God, I know that I like have really limiting beliefs. Yeah, What's a first step towards moving away from that way of thinking and moving towards what you do? Mm, mm. So the process that I use for that is pivot into power, which mm. is basically determining what you want first, a desire, mm. really knowing what your desires of the heart are and then digging into that so that you discover if they're yours, if they're not yours. A lot of it is about awareness of course and not overdwelling in things or avoiding things mm. 
And that's hard to do when your whole vibration, your frequency, your whole feeling state is pretty low. Mm. So it depends on where you are. I use this kind of frequency scale in tapping where it's sort of like you just assess your emotions and you assess your baseline without judgment. Mm. You're just like, where am I? Now, I would say to someone, if you're quite low on that scale, below the line, I would call it, then you want to just be starting with tapping. You just want to get some tapping going. Um, and then when you're above that line, you want to then start with a vision, you know, get, getting, getting into creation mode. Mm. So it kind of depends on the person, you know, it, it, it's always about a uniqueness. Mm. There's not one, this is it formula, you're going to sort your life out. It's not like that. <laughs> if it was, we'd be having a very yeah. different conversation. Right. <laughs> because there's, there's, for me, there's too much of that about. There's too much yeah. of, buy this and I will give you the fix. And thank goodness you're out there doing what you're doing and saying, that's not actually what it is. It's like, we will meet you where you are. Mm. And then from there, there is a journey. Yeah. But it might not necessarily be quick. It might not necessarily be easy. Yeah. And it might not be linear. <laughs> Yeah. yeah but it's a process and progress can be made yes yes i can just help speed that up mm. that's what i can do i'm quite good at um helping people speed that process up mm. but everyone's process is different and sometimes those gremlins it's not right for them to be i don't want to say healed but in a way healed you know mm. they're there for a purpose mm -hmm. they're sort of keeping us safe those emotions We've gone on this incredible journey with you from this media job to your childhood to now what you're doing today. And from the outside, I look and I just think super successful, sets her mind to something and it happens. She can create it, which obviously goes hand in hand with what you do. But I am always curious from my guests is like on that journey, we all have limiting beliefs, however hard we work on them. And is there an excuse that you use or have used that you see crop up time and time again. You're like, this is because I'm trying to put a little bit of distance between me and where I want to get to because I'm finding it frightening mm. or because I'm just not in the, the zone at the moment. Is the, what, what excuse crops up for you? Mm. Yeah, for me, yeah, I've had to work on sort of my relationship, I think, with time. Mm. I haven't got time. Uh, I'm doing a lot right now or, or opposite and I'll literally do everything. <laughs> All at once and be like, right, I'll do that by like next month. And then I'm like, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so time can be a tricky little thing. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, it's that. It's what's the expression, if you want something done, give it to a busy person. I can absolutely attest to the fact that I find, I don't know if you're like this, I am, um, I go through periods where I'm really busy and then all I want is just time. Yeah. All I want is just a week where I'm not that busy. And I look at my productivity on the weeks where I've got all this time to do stuff. And I look at my productivity on the weeks where I'm so busy that my head's spinning. And I think we can tell which one is yeah. more productive. Um, when we talked about this before, you talked about time. Um, what was it? Linear time is just a made up thing anyway that cages us in. What do you mean by that, Poppy? <laughs> well, time, I, I'm quite interested in sort of the basics of quantum physics. Are you now? I am. And so if you look at time and the perspective that we are maybe sort of taught time pre 1920s so we're talking about you know the whole education system mm -hmm. that is still there now um that's based on 
the idea that sort of time is Newtonian time, and I won't go like weirdly into it, but it's basically the idea that that there's a clock time, right? So we all operate on a clock time. So it's like, what time is it? Oh, it's one o'clock. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've got this much time now until the next. Now that can be quite, uh, what did I call it? Caged, yeah, mm-hmm. because it it cages you in because you feel like as soon as you're born, you're running out of time, and we then see that usually things will take a certain amount of time to achieve. And because we are all basically a product of other people around us and what we see is real, that means that we might think, oh, it will take me three years to get promotion in this job because it took Sandra, Fred and, you know, Mike three years. And so we base things around comparison Mm. and I don't like doing that so if you look at quantum physics that tells us that actually we're in a world of possibilities we're actually all energy and this is not my philosophy this is just like an actual physics fact since Mm -hmm. the 1920s Um, and this says that we are able to almost like tap in excuse the pun, tap in to different realities. And so if you go in down that rabbit hole, it's quite exciting because also it stops you being trapped by time and, you know, linear time and I have to do this in this order. Mm-hmm. I have to, you know, a lot of us are taught or we just see by what we just absorb by osmosis of comparison. All oh, right, so I go and do my education do as good as I can in that, I get a job, then maybe I'll get married, then I might have a baby, you know, and then I'll pay some bills there, then I'll retire, and then I'll die. And it's like, ugh, that for me, <laughs> it's like, oh, I've been sold the sham of how I have to do these things in this time frame. So if you look at that as a big, mm. then you look at that from your day and go, well, what, I like to interrogate everything. And I think, well, could I do that any quicker? So if someone comes to me and says, I've got a five-year plan, usually I'll throw that out the window straight away and interrogate it with them and go, well, can we do it any quicker? And usually, actually 100% of the time, I'd say, and with me, yeah, we can. If we change our comparisonitis Mm. bug from sort of collective um, expectation. That is so interesting. It's certainly not the answer that I thought you were going to give. <laughs> um, love a bit of quantum physics. Uh, but I can totally relate to what you mean, actually, because I think, I've spoken about this before on the podcast, sometimes this structure that we are supposed to live within and we set our achievements, so school lasts a certain amount of time, university um, lasts a certain amount of time, you're supposed to do the grunt work in your job for a certain amount of time. I've always wanted to reject that but then it looks quite petulant Mm. (laughs) to be like I don't want to do that I want it faster than that I think Mm. it can seem like you're being bratty yeah Um, and also I don't want to do that on so-and-so's time scale and why do I need to do that then why do I need to wait Mm. Um, but I am totally aligned with you on this idea that actually what it's doing is it's it's taking your time and it's telling you how to spend it yeah 
It's taking away your agency to spend of how you spend your time, which is essentially taking away your agency on how you live your life, which yeah. when you put it like that, horrible. <laughs> yeah. And it says you're the thief of time. Mm. It's like, yeah, time time is the thief. You know, so I've tried to blast that one. Mm. Sounds like you have. Yeah, I think I have now. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I guess a lot of people wait for the right time. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you come across in the work that you do? Yeah. That you think people are anchored by this, I'll do it when. Mm. And it's as if, well, how much of your time are you spending on waiting? If you look at time as a currency. Yeah. Or how much time are you willing to spend yes. waiting? Which yes. seems to be a very modern way of living, I think. Yes. I often ask the question, if somebody has a sort of goal, how long are you willing to wait before you have that mm. and and usually people go oh you know and I said no really how long would you be willing to wait mm. it'd be 10 years um so yeah it's, it's I'm I'm bang on with you here <laughs> well you also described yourself as I'm not a victim to time and I was like let we, we've got to discuss this on the podcast and now I completely understand but we have to still live with I mean I've always found it really bizarre that we tether time to our bodies. Do you ever watch? I do. Yeah. I've always found that really bizarre. <laughs> yeah. When you think about it, like you tether That's that right. measure to your yeah, body. You do. But we have to. Yeah. Um, so how? what is your relationship like with time in the sense of, do you still observe it in the way that we have to, like get up in the morning go to bed in the like I know yeah. that sounds really sorry I know I'm being quite reductive in how I'm saying that but if you understand and view time in that way how yes. does that impact your daily life yes yes well it just expands my possibilities mm -hmm. really so I still use the same framework as anyone else you know yeah. I'm still going I've still got the same amount of hours in the day and I still will observe time but I suppose from a from a sense of what do I want is that possible for me? It, I choose to believe that I can expand my possibilities there mm. and be like, well, okay, maybe it's three months, maybe it's three years. And I'm actually um, just setting my focus on the end result all the time. And, and that's it. And I don't really tell myself off if, I, if something takes longer, mm -hmm. whatever. It, it wasn't right for me at that point. Mm. But likewise, I don't sort of wait for this ta-da moment when I'm like, right, everything's good. I, you know, there is that phrase, start before you're ready. Mm. Um, and I often say also, I don't know who said this first. I think it was Marie Folio. It was, it was basically this. If you feel ready, you've waited too long. <gasps> wow, okay. I think that was her. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. Or it might have been me. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> but that is what I believe. Mm. You know, if you feel ready, you've waited too long because we are not meant to feel absolutely comfortable with life. Mm. We're actually meant to feel a little bit of imposter syndrome and feel a bit nervous. Because if we don't, then we're just familiar. Mm. And then we're staying stuck in the past because we're a record of that past experience, making decisions based on that. You've got to get out of that. So I think, am I a little bit uncomfortable? Great, let's go. 
Mm. I don't tell myself off. I don't say that I'm anxious about it. I say, well, how can I change that perception? Am I anxious or am I excited? And actually the same hormone produces different responses, right? So you've got to look at it in in different ways. I think when I learned in therapy to reframe as somebody who has who previously was like everything's negative. Yeah. Doing exactly what you said, what instead of thinking, oh my gosh, I'm so anxious about this, I'm gonna have to cancel, or I'm so anxious about this, I can't do it, to think, oh, I am so excited. Yeah. Is a complete it's exactly the same thing. It's just you're giving it a different label. Yes. And one and you get to choose. And I think it can be so I think it can be quite unhelpful sometimes when people say you can choose to be happy, because I think that really doesn't help people who are really struggling with their mental health. But yeah. I think once you have developed and learned those tools in yeah. whichever uh, forum that may be, and for me it was therapy, when you learn about relabeling or reframing mm. and labeling your emotions in a positive way and seeing that the positive outcome is just as likely as the negative outcome that you have decided is going to happen, yeah. then that is really, I do believe the word empowering is appropriate there. Because for me, that was a game changer. Because every time I'd have a bad feeling, I'd be like, mm. is this a bad feeling or could I call it something else? And every single time I realized I can call it the positive one. Mm, mm, mm. Right. And that is you witnessing yourself as a product of the experiences that you've had mm. rather than being yourself and saying, I am anxious. Could be very careful what we say I am about mm. because you're affirming that. And there's a lot of research around self-affirmation. And if you do it right, you can completely change your life incrementally. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think that's a powerful description that you said. It's like you've witnessed yourself and taken just one moment to go, hang on a sec. What is my, you know, I'd call it subconscious, mm. which holds the power of every decision we make. Neuroscience tells us that 95% of our thoughts are embedded already as default so that's where we make decisions so creative power manifesting is knowing where you've got the power of that energy behind you mm. and then going does it match up with what i want mm. and so what you did there was a brilliant example of going no i'm i am not anxiety i am not anxious um i am me and the experiences i've had have shown me that my default operative like narrative is i'm anxious about this mm. and then you swapped it for something else so mm. that's basically all all what i do is like bringing that to the nth degree how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Yeah. And also, you said something a minute ago that I just want to go back to, which is about um, this feeling of discomfort is actually not a bad thing. But I do feel as though the current conversations around mental health, not all of them, obviously, but since it's become mainstream, so we say, it's almost selling this lie that you can get to a point where you're happy, com- confident, comfortable, and, and that's an achievable destination. And I think that's a really horrible thing to sell people because I don't believe that actually exists. You don't believe we can be happy? I think we can be happy, but I don't think it, I don't think you reach happiness and then you stay in that oh, state stay forever. Mm. And so you've just got to scrabble, scrabble, scrabble to get yeah, there. Yeah. And then the work is done. Yes. I don't be careful with that. Yeah. Could be careful with the word happy, actually, because I, mm. I tend to say, you know, you can be content. Mm. You can have a, a, on that frequency scale, you can get a baseline, mm. which can go up. And at the top of that baseline, because we do respond to goals and visions, is like joy. That's cool. Um, but at the bottom is despair. And we're humans. We're going to have both. We're like batteries. You can't be like, I've got all that, none of this. Mm. That's life, isn't it? But I think you can be contented, more contented as a baseline mm. for sure. But yeah, you, 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 it's not same. I booked that, what you've just said. You can't expect to be happy all the time mm. because you're a human having an existence here and there are really crappy things going on, yeah. right? It's, uh, that's not going to happen. Just let yourself off the hook. Yeah. And quantum physics, I'm not sure if this is actually quantum physics, but I'm just going to mention it anyway, because I find it so useful in my own life and mm. I want to share it with listeners. Yeah. But if ever something doesn't go my way, I think about infinite possibilities. Yes. And so I think, oh, in this reality, in this possibility, I am not in a very happy, stable, secure relationship with Keanu Reeves. But in another one, I am. And that allows me to, and I make peace with it because I'm like, not for me, but for me elsewhere. And I can move on. Yeah. I'm being obviously <laughs> silly by mentioning it. It could be about anything. Like if I didn't get a particular opportunity I wanted, or if I wish other things were happening, I can think not in this reality, mm. but in another one. And for some reason that just enables me to make peace with it. Nice. <laughs> Love that. Is it quantum physics? Well, we can all have a relationship <laughs> with Keanu Reeves in our minds. <laughs> Oh, every day <laughs> <any> point. <laughs> I think you do. <laughs> well, it just seems like a really nice person. Yeah. Um, right. Let's talk about the mm. obstacles that you've had to overcome because, uh, and so much happened to you when you were so young. Uh, and I say that because I'm somebody who was waiting for a time when I grew up. That still hasn't happened yet. But it's, but you've done a lot of grown up stuff when you were still really quite young. Mm. Yes. 
and a lot of it when you were at uni. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, I'm not saying that they are obstacles, but yeah. when we were talking beforehand, um, and you actually say something brilliant, you say they're not obstacles, they're just experiences from which I have gathered data. Yes. Yes. And they are. And again, that's that labeling thing. Mm. Take the power back. Um, I did go to uni. Now, I am from Cornwall. And in my comparison world of what is good and bad, as mm. we all live in that bubble, right? Um, lots of people around me were getting married. I got married when mm. I was 18 and went to uni, married and saved up my very menial amount of money and decided to buy a little terraced house, which is why we went, you know, up to the Midlands because that's what we could get at the time. Mm. And all during uni, I was like, Let's, well, we renovated it. And so we didn't do a normal uni experience. We went there because we had wildly different grades and that was like the one place where we could get in where it was really good for mine and he could get in. Um, and we could get this place. So we did that. And well, I, when I was there, um, my dad passed away and that was a real shocker. And then, um, you know, I was newly married, moved away from home. And then I sort of quickly realized, oof, okay, this is weird. And then um, we decided, and we did decide, a lot of people think that it wasn't a decision, but we decided to um, have our son. And I thought it would take a long time, actually. So there'd been some fertility things in my family. Oh. And then... Um, it didn't. <laughs> and so, bang, first go. Wow. Pregnant. So there's me now looking genuinely like I was about 15 years old. Um, and I was pregnant at university. And then they said to me, you know, you can't do this now because all this stuff's gone on. You know, I'd, I'd gone back, you know, when my dad died. And, I did, and basically I was like, no, I will have my son. I'm having my son. Mm. Um and so I didn't take a year out or anything. I did it. And, you know, we had two jobs. I had two jobs at the time as well. Oh, my gosh. Like two different jobs. And then, uh, so then I had him. So then I taught myself my degree mainly. And I, you know, was going in and properly like breastfeeding the loose, um, walking up all these steps of pregnant with like baby fingers coming out. And um, like looking out of my stomach like I was a little, there's an alien in there. And then... Um, and then my grandma died. And then that was another big big blow because we've been really close because, you know, I stayed with her quite a bit when my dad was unwell. And uh, she also moved next door to us twice, which is quite hilarious. Um, so it was a weird time. But I don't look back at it thinking, oh, what a horrible time mm. at all. I really don't. And I look back at it with a sense of real achievement because I did – work hard and I did um, really experience everything that I was feeling, the grief and all of it, actually, even at the time I was processing all of that. 
And then I say one of my happiest moments actually was like going to that board at, you know, when they do all the results mm. on the day. And I went to the board and I looked my name and I was like, I got first. And it was the highest they'd ever had. And I was like, right, we can do stuff in life. Things are possible. And that just gave me the bug, mm. actually. I always look back at that when people say, oh, how do you do these things? And it's like, well, you've got to, you've got to accrue evidence and celebrate the little things until you are really okay with celebrating yourself. That's amazing. I love that, this idea of just accruing the evidence. I'm just trying to think about someone who's listening to this. He might be perhaps not feeling at their strongest mentally, emotionally, physically. And the lesson I really took take from that, well, there's quite a lot, but it's just, just do one thing today. <laughs> just do one tiny thing that you couldn't do yesterday and build. And it can be so tempting to set yourself these really high goals. And I think that's what we tend to do in life anyway, particularly in the Western culture. And it's why I think a lot of us feel imperfect or less than. But actually, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. And actually in that whole story you didn't talk about anyone else's expectations but I'm sure at the time there must have been people who looked at you when you were the pregnant first year oh yeah who were like yeah or who who were not saying what you could see they were thinking which is this is a bad idea mm. and yet you somehow put something between you and that to enable you to move forward and get her first yeah do you know what that was <laughs> It was, it was mindset it, and it was exploring my feelings because I did have ways in which they weren't honed at that stage, let me tell you that, but I had the basics taught to me by my parents mm. about how to do that. So I had that. Mm. I must leave a bit, you know. Yeah. Um can you talk to me about 2010? Because I asked you what your biggest challenge was. And um, you talk about 2010 and <laughs> you use an expression that I absolutely love and said, we are totally unpicking that when we talk, which is, this is when I went super mad for self-improvement. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it about that year that was mm. so defining? Well, it was a big a challenge. year. It was a big year. So you can fast forward from that uni experience mm -hmm. Um, and at that point in my life, I was working, you know, in TV, everything was great. On the outside, I would have looked like very successful. I was married and had been for a long time. And I had my son, who was great, you know, a lovely little human. And I had a nice big house and great friendship groups. Right. And then there was this nagging part of me that was like, you're not actually happy. What's happening? And the whole time frame, when I was writing my book, I was revisiting this. And it was kind of blurry because I couldn't remember for a while what came first, but I do remember making a decision, power of decision is very important, 
in Pivot to Power, I'm all about that D, sort of loads of Ds, seven Ds. <laughs> and I'm like, decisions are very powerful. And I'd made a decision that I was going to be in a relationship where I felt heard and seen and loved and emotionally met. And, you know, I could look back at this and think, we got married when we were kids, basically. And we had a good time, but I didn't have that. And I never really had that. I had a friend and I had a decent relationship, but there was just parts of me that I was just sort of settling for, thinking, okay, this is it. And um, anyway, what transpired is the whole thing came crashing down and I'd found out a lot about what was going on. You know, my husband at the time was sort of taking lots of trips abroad and then it all came crashing down about stuff that was going on and I really found it a huge um, junction because in that space of time, suddenly, in everyone else's eyes, I was... It was like, what are you then? Because I was the one who, you know, had this life, mm. you know, and that, you know, I was young, like 28, like at the time, you know, really doing well. And um, and then it all just, just went bang overnight. And then I was suddenly this sort of single mom with all these bills you know, a husband who is pretty much having a sort of, what, it, what do they call it? Like a quarter-life crisis. And with, you know, heavy expectation on him. Mm. Um, and then me refining myself and going, whoa. Now, what also happened was that I was extremely stressed and all of the things that I learned went totally out the window. And I had to then get back into it again in a big way, which they, which I did. And so that was when the tapping for me was the lifesaver. And that got me out of that really low period of a complete identity meltdown. And, and that, that was the power of tapping for me then. My mum got me into it. And, you know, like when you said you're not interested in a vision of goals when you're like on the floor on your knees, mm -hmm. are you? Um, and then so many things happened. I, then I went blind like literally, uh, and I was in and out of eye hospital. Very strange things were going on at this time, and I used it as a complete portal, even though it was really painful, a portal for me to just look at possibilities. And that I now look at that like, wow, I actually got through that as well. But that was, that was proper pain, mm. proper shock and traumatic, and that, you know, now I do a lot with tapping. That was when you can really look back at, at a memory and go, I couldn't even take myself back there without feeling it in my body, you know, without feeling it, you know, that visceral pain. Mm. And then, okay, as I've got really good at learning all the modalities I've learned, energy work, tapping, power of language, I've now I can look back at that and go, right, that happened. That's another experience. Mm. Cool. Was it 
was the end of the marriage, was it like, right, I've done all these things and this is how the rest of my life is going to look? Do you think that the shock was, it's not going to look how I thought it was? Everything's going to be completely different. And that's frightening. Yeah. Because it's almost as if you've had two, well, you have already had one very complete life. Yeah. On paper, that's a lot of people's entire life. Yes. But then there was a day when everything just completely changed. And it was like, not only will things not be the same, and that's really hard to come to terms with, but there are infinite possibilities mm. and you get to write the future and you're still really young. Yes, and that was fantastic. Now, we make decisions in that place of catastrophe because we have to. Mm. Now, it's really important to me that people can see you can do that without the catastrophe. Mm. They say when you hit rock bottom, whether that's emotionally or whatever, there's only one way to go, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I, I really feel now that it can be done without the catastrophe. That's very important to me now. But yeah, of course, at that point, you're like, wowza, this is completely unfamiliar. And the unfamiliarity is what's the terror because, you know, our mm. brain is primed to repeat familiar neural pathways over and over again. And if we don't take ourselves out of the familiar, we'll just do the same things, we'll feel very stuck. And that's what I felt like, actually, before it all came crashing down. I just didn't really quite get that I did. Mm. And know that I had the choice because I didn't really feel like I did have a choice. Mm. So I now say, actually, what happened there was his actions set me free mm. to have this whole new phase of life. And now I'm, I feel like now I'm doing it again. <laughs> I remember a previous podcast guest saying something like, what's the most important question you should ask yourself? And it's like, if every day was like today would I be happy? And if the answer is no, make changes. And that's actually, it's really great. <laughs> it rolls off the tongue, but it it's quite confronting because I think we can lie to ourselves about what we will ex accept. Oh yeah. And actually to be really honest and say, if every day was like today, would I be happy? Would that be okay with me? It's actually quite huge because yeah. It re I think instinctively, you know, it's like whenever anyone comes to me and they say, I'm trying to make a decision between this thing and this thing, I'll always say, picture yourself flicking the coin up in the air. Before it's landed, you know which side you want it to land on. And so I think it's one of those things that you instinctively know the answer to. Yeah. I say a lot if it's not a hell yes, is a hell no. Mm. And that is true because you do think it might not be the time to to go for it or you might need to do some debunking work mm -hmm. on what you believe you can do so you know there's always a chance to change every every moment is mm. i asked my guests as well about um whether they have any regrets and your answer is uh i loved reading it and i really want to unpick it because you said i i don't have memories because i tap on any regrets and i take the emotion out of them and you alluded to it a minute ago and this is probably a really good time to talk about um, the tapping and what it can do and how you are able to take that pain out of memories because I was reading something really interesting the other day and it really just made me think, oh, that's, that, that's the wording I've been looking for for probably a couple of years, which is that it's become so easy in recent times to become defined by 
what you've gone through, whether it's your mental health or whatever it might be, rather than view it as an experience. We've, we've started to define the worst parts of our lives. We've started to be defined by the worst things we've yeah. gone through yeah. rather than talking about them as an experience that we had. They are still very, very present. And I don't believe that's particularly helpful. So when I saw that answer, I thought, right, how do we remove the pain from a memory and then file it in a way that is helpful, mm. which seems what you're able to do with the tapping. Yeah, yeah. And it's a mix of tapping, knowing that when we have an experience, we embody that experience in a number of different ways. And we also forget that that is experienced in the body. And so tapping is somatic. It is a body and mind uh, experience because you can't really cage the two into their own little categories. It's mind, body, Deepak Chopra says that. So the approach that I have to kind of create possibilities is to come to terms with the past and then be in a position where you can comfortably have that memory. You won't erase the memory, but the emotional charge that that memory carries will not be there to such dramatic effect. Because when we do have an experience, we are primed as human beings to remember the ones that are either really, really happy, so the top of that frequency scale, mm. or really, really bad, and mostly really, really bad, because we've got a negative bias. That's just what we have to deal with as humans. Mm -hmm. Bummer. Um, but never are we taught how to deal with that. So we do start defining ourselves by traumatic experiences, because our brain, a particular part of our brain, the hippocampus, remembers it like a filofax. And it goes, no, it's very unsafe for you to do that. You know, mm. so you have people go to me, right, I want to speak on stage and I want to do this. And they're amazing people. No, you cannot do that. Because we find out that when they were eight, they went on to a school play and they're like, somebody laughed at them. Now, they might not be able to... to consciously remember that but subconscious is stored that way mm. and so unless we can get into that memory at the core and talk through that memory and the incredible thing about tapping is you know it's amazing how it works it always just i find it so incredible but when you do go through and it's a mix of neuro linguistics and saying particular things with someone and safely tapping as you do that, it has this really amazing effect of allowing you to separate the aspects that have come in. It could be anything, it could be what you heard or saw or the way you felt. It can actually remove that. And it's so incredible. It reminds me, so I had a client and she was doing a TV show. She's a real expert in a field, but never really done much TV. And she had a stammer. And I can say this because she's happy for me to say it. She's written about this. And uh, she also had a fear of champagne. And when we started doing some work on it, 
what happened was that went for a start. The stammer went. There were a lot of phobias and that kind of thing. Not so much now, I used to. And what had happened was that it was a brilliant example of when something traumatic happens, and it doesn't have to be traumatic in your sense or my sense, it's just for us at that time. We scan our surroundings. We, we are absolute data collectors, sponges. Most of that happens before we're seven as well. Mm. And so then all of that had happened. Something had happened. It connected the two things. And when we did the tapping, the it was like it was time and the subconscious was like, oh, it's time to remember that information, right? Really cool. And then the champagne thing went at the same time because it was in her view at the time. So we take in everything, all parts of us all the time, but we don't really get it. We don't really understand that we do. Music, people, smells. And, and so when you go in and you really assess all those different parts, like I'm trained to do in different modalities, NLP mm. and all this hypnosis, then you can really make some massive change. Mm. And then that fear, like I can't talk in public, manifests itself with a stammer, right? Mm. And it's only yourself trying to keep yourself safe. So you've got to go and re-pattern yourself or otherwise you'll repeat. So your hippocampus will file a fax that and go, nope, no talking on stages, please. And obviously I did a lot of that, worked in the media, worked with celebs and people on big stages. And then it was like, right, this is a really good tool. Mm. So I got into that for those core things. Now I combine that with just moving up that frequency scale. So feeling better, but quickly, mm. rapid tapping. And uh just quickly describe, if you wouldn't mind. So the tapping technique is sort of upper body and face or, or upper body and head? Yeah. Yeah. And it's something you can do yourself. Do you have to do a course and it's like, well, this is where you tap or is it is it fairly intuitive? You can do a course. Um, I'm a big fan of just people taking their own power back. Um, so in my book, I do explain how to tap mm. so you can tap yourself. You don't need to come to me necessarily as a practitioner. Um, although I think sometimes people will bamboozle things to make it sound really complicated. And it's like, yeah. I try not to do that. Well, then there's the oversimplification where you just see someone doing this and you're like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm tapping. And that's where it ends. They're just tapping, hoping that that's going to fix how Yeah, and then feeling. it doesn't because they haven't actually got the basics. With no connection exactly. to anything going on yet. Yeah, so it's, it's a mix. You know, I'd say get a get. It doesn't have to be my book, but get a book. Mm -hmm. um, get a book and learn it. Then, fr then get into the swing of it, right? And yeah, then, yeah. Um, I know that our time together is drawing to a close, so I'm uh, uh, keen to uh, end on a high. And so, I asked you what you're hopeful for about the future. And given everything that we've talked about, um, it would seem that you probably have a ton to be hopeful for because you are the creator of your own destiny. And so anything that you want, I guess, is possible. And that could sound really spoiled. Um, but what I do want to ask you about in that context, because I think sometimes self-help mm -hmm. and self-care can get wrapped up in such a way that it is only accessible to super privileged people. Mm. And like, I've never seen a manifestation workshop in a 
you know, a fried chicken place in the inner city kind of vibe. So I want to ask you about accessibility for all, because with this and how you're hopeful for how it will spread, because it isn't just something reserved for beautiful, rich people. No, definitely not. And this is why I wrote my book, because I really am passionate about rapid tapping. Exactly that. It works quickly. You can do it quickly in minutes, learn the ropes, start using it basically for stress and anxiety first, bring yourself up the scale a bit, then start creating your life, not as one big overwhelming, I've got to get the best life in the world, which is really, can be really confusing, mm. but really start to look at your life. I call it the wheel of possibility. So you section it out. So you go, right, you've got your energetics, your emotions, you've got money, you've got physical health, you've got your environment, your relationships, sex, all of it. And you look at that and you go, well, where is it needing some attention? And then you can go, okay, that needs some attention. And we all have the bits that are a bit wonky on the wheel, like mine was love, right? <laughs> that had a lot of stuff to disprove, debunk, ditch, because of stuff that I'd experienced. Mm. So... This work is open to everybody. And, um, you know, I tend to, I have two sides to me. One side is like private clients and, and I love working with really influential people. So I do work with really influential people at a really high level. Give them my all energetically. I'm all over it. And then at the same point, what I've been trying to do with the money I make from that, and I've funded myself through all of this, is I've been spending my money on creating um, a way to get rapid tapping out there at a really affordable cost. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm really excited that's coming this year and to help people train up in those techniques so that they can then use it themselves, make money out of that. I really want this to not be closed door mm. therapy that you'd come to me as a practitioner necessarily to, to do for 12 weeks straight. I believe that nobody owns energy, and if we know how to shift our energy, mm. we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have a life where we're more contented than we would be before. And there's so much evidence actually for this as well. I should really have probably uh, got that in a little bit earlier, but there is so much evidence for the fact that tapping really works. It's more successful uh, in uh, trials than CBT. Yeah. So it's not just uh, a performative, I'm taking care of myself, I'm doing self-care, <laughs> which I think no. sometimes thing can, things can look like. And you know what, Poppy, the thing I've really taken away from this conversation is, and from you, is that someone could be listening to this today thinking that their life is a certain way and that that's how it is and will always be because that's what the story that we might be telling ourselves. And actually, that story might be inaccurate and you have the ownership and the agency to rewrite that story as quickly as you like and in a way that you think will get you closer to a place where you feel more content. And I think that knowing that that is possible for me is incredibly hopeful, inspiring and um, yeah, just makes you feel like tomorrow is worth fighting for. And I think we've both probably from what we've <laughs> confessed on this podcast have been in those uh, situations mentally, emotionally, physically where tomorrow felt really, really difficult and quite a scary place to get to. 
and knowing that that reframe can make the sun come out again is really wonderful, really powerful. So thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it is possible. All possible. It's all possible. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then make sure you're subscribed so you never miss a show. And why not tell a friend about the podcast? If you want to watch what happens behind the scenes, then head over to my Instagram or I'm at Emma Guns. And if you want to get in touch with me and share any risks, obstacles, challenges or curveballs that you've faced and overcome, then tell me on thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. And it may feature in one of the midweek shows. Thank you so much for tuning in. I will see you on the next one. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.